when we left off last week, we were kind of in the middle of uh, a series of uh, catastrophic or apocalyptic events that were happening. Um, the first, the, the seven seals were opened. The seventh seal, seven trumpets jump out, uh, drop out. Seven trumpets are blown. Something bad happens with each one. This, this magnifying or amplifying series of catastrophes. And then finally, uh, in uh, chapter 16... Uh, these seven vials or seven bowls uh, that are described as being filled with God's wrath are poured out um, and a a final wave uh, of plagues assaults the earth. Um, We talked a little bit about how those uh, increase in intensity over time um, because, uh, right, that that first set of events, although it's very bad, right, a third of the a third of the world's uh, waters are poisoned, a third of the, the fish die, you know, all kinds of bad things happen. There's, there's, it's not a complete destruction. Um, with the, the pouring out of these bowls, that's it. I mean, it, the, it, these are truly apocalyptic in the sense that they are world-ending, uh, only to be interrupted uh, by the arrival of the Lord. Uh, so let's go to chapter 17. We're going we're gonna to spend uh, time in chapter 17, almost through the end of the book this, this week, um, this is a description of the final battle. Uh, it's the, the, the final victory of the Lamb uh, over the systems of the world. Uh, the other thing to remind you of here is that last time we talked about the unholy trinity uh, that appear in the pages of this book. Um, the Satan, who stands in the place uh, of God the Father. Uh, the Antichrist, who stands in the place of, uh, of Jesus. And then finally, the false prophet, uh, who's a figure that stands in the place of the Holy Spirit um, in this unholy trinity. And we're going to see them driving events throughout chapters 17 and 18. So let's begin chapter one or chapter 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, uh, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come, th- come hither, I will show unto thee, unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. So John is, is perplexed by what he sees, right? He's mystified. He's like, what, what could this mean? This... Strange imagery, uh, and the uh, the angel says, "Hold up, I'll just explain it to you. Um, I know this is complicated." Verse eight: The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. 
and there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, uh, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of, of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So we have, this is a mystifying passage in many ways, but um, notice, uh, I'm, I'll explain uh, in a couple of different steps. One, the, the woman is obviously Rome, right? Um, obviously. Uh, and it would be obvious, especially to somebody who, um, who lived in that time, Rome sits on seven hills, right? And the beast has seven heads. Uh, the, uh, and, and notice what happens to her, um, right? The, the ten kings uh, that are part of the, the makeup of this beast that she's riding um, turn on her, right? And consume her. Uh, I, and I, I want to, uh, I guess I want to, uh, step back for a moment. Uh, so I, I read a book uh, by Michael Gorman a long time ago um, called Reading Revelation Responsibly, which is the name of this study. And he made a very good point. Um, his, his explanation or his unpacking of this is really, really good. Um, and he says, so it, it would not have been a mystery to anybody reading this that, that, that the woman represents Rome. No, like it... Um, for like a long time, the preaching I heard was like, well, it, it, it's, she's described as Babylon, uh, right? She has a tattoo on her head because um, John didn't want anybody to know that he was talking about Rome because he'd get in trouble. Well, John's already on exile. He's already exiled. He can't get any more trouble than he's already in. Um, and also, I mean, the, the Romans were many things. Um, Dumb was not one of them. They were... They were reasonably smart, intelligent people with a highly complex literature. I'm sure they could figure out when they read this, right, that the, the Roman Empire was being referenced, right? And the woman, verse 18, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth, right? They're not going to read that and think, oh, is that, I don't know, is that some, where's that at? <laughs> no, if you're in Rome, you know it's Rome, right? So it's not in code, um, and Gorman's point is that the, the reason that John is writing this and the way that he's writing it uh, is because the woman comes to stand in for any kind of empire. And that becomes more apparent in the next, in the next chapter. But I, I want you to think of, uh, I want you to think of this, this metaphor of the woman or this, this image and, and, and symbol of the woman as operating on two different levels. Right? It, it operates on the level of uh, addressing John's specific, like, right there situation, which is the Roman Empire is reigning and ruling uh, over all the citizens of the earth, uh, and 
uh, John is telling, uh, is communicating to people who receive this letter, uh, that state of affairs won't last forever, right? It, eventually, uh, the kings that she rules over and depends on will turn on her uh, and destroy her from within, right? There is hope. The lamb overcomes the system of the world. God has put it into the minds of these kings who are evil uh, and doing the will of the beast to turn on, on Rome and tear it apart. So that's, that's one level of messaging. The other level is what lies behind, uh, is what lies behind empire, right? And so it's not, not the Roman Empire, it's empire in all caps, right? Or it's empire with a capital E. It's the concept or idea of human empire that he's talking about. And, and the same assurance is there, right? N no human empire lasts forever, only the kingdom of God does. The lamb overcomes the systems of the world now and in every age, right? That's the idea that he's giving uh, to people who are receiving this letter. Not just that it's relevant in their immediate historical circumstance, but it's true for all time. Uh, so chapter 18. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. If you have to come out, what else must be true? You, you went in, right? Or you, you were in at some point. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute, too. Um, for her sins have reached into heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her, even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thyine, wood and all manner vessels of ivory, all manner vessels of, precious, of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. That's a, that's a heck of an ending, isn't it? Right? The list of, I, I, lo I love, as a rhetorical technique, that's excellent, right? Cinnamon and thyme and flour and, and, also, and also the souls of men. Um, wh why that long list? Anybody, any ideas? It's because Rome's power is economic, 
right? It's not just military, right? The, the way you come out of Babylon is not, not just emerging from the city physically. It's by not participating in its systems to the extent that you can, right? The, the, um, the power of Rome over the people of the earth is economic and monetary. Let's continue. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the craftsman of whatever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So incredible imagery, right? Beautiful writing, um, rhetorically, um, like it makes an impact when you read it, right? And it, what he's getting at here um, is, how do I, I, I'm trying to think of the application for us uh, as we, we look at this. If this is about human empire, right, it, it, and I'm talking here about empire in all capitals, right, our participation in human empire, uh, I think it is a, um, I think it's in part uh, a, it's a reassurance to us, to the people that received it, and to us, right, that the Lamb overcomes every system of the world. It may seem like we're on the bottom now, right? The, the earliest Christians were often very poor people, right? It, it was a religion of slaves and women, right? People who were not allowed into, other, uh, into the service of other gods. Uh, and it spread from there. Right, and so uh, these are the some of the poorest people in the whole world um, who are are receiving this letter, uh, and they perceive and know that the economic system of the empire is a tool of Satan. Right, it's exploitative. They are often the exploited. Um, they can see it for what it is, uh, and this contains a reassurance to them that this can't last forever. It'll end. That the Lamb will not only uh, overcome the systems of the world that are military, he won't over, uh, only overcome the government, he will overcome the economic might of the Roman Empire uh, and every empire that follows it. Uh, I also, uh, that, that 
um, the cry of the angel, come out, come out of Babylon, should haunt us, right, as we, as we read this. It should make us think, how are we participating in unjust systems of the world, right? Like, like you got to make a living, right? You can't just opt out completely. That's impossible, um, right? Like, we, we, you have to go to work. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you can't call in tomorrow and say, I'm not coming in. Revelation says the lamb has overcome the economic systems of the world, um, right? The, the, you won't get a paycheck that way. Um, but it is an invitation for us to look at how we do our, our how we participate in the system, in ways that exploit other people, uh, in ways that are uh, uh, not in accordance with God's will. And that stems from the products that we buy, right, to uh, the way we do our own work. Uh, and, you know, there, there are all kinds of, of uh, practical illustrations that I can give you, all, and I'll, I'll give you a few, um, but they're almost infinite, right? I read a book a long time ago about um, commercial shrimp harvesting. I don't know. Uh, so it wasn't just about that. It was about like the grocery. It was about the grocery industry. But there was a chapter about commercial shrimp harvesting, um, and it is a fact that if you look at a bag of shrimp and it was not, uh, it doesn't say produced or farmed in the USA, whatever the nomenclature is, uh, then it was harvested by slaves at gunpoint. That is 100% true. Like, basically, if it came from anywhere but the United States, uh, the, the people who uh, harvested it were, were uh, slaves, I'm, like practically. Uh, which means that, um, for, for me, um, like when I go to a restaurant, I, I don't order shrimp because I don't know where it came from. And that's a, that's a, that's a, your conviction may not be the same, right? Like, but to me, I read that, and knowing that, um, it made it impossible to enjoy uh, when I was, you know. So, and, and for this specific reason, right? I'm participating in a uh, in a uh, a system of exploitation that is satanic, right? And uh, by by the same token, uh, like you know, the the kind of products that we consume, uh, I uh, one of Gorman's points is that. Um, in Rome, you could not participate in the economy or the government or the military without also participating in the worship of the empire itself, uh, of the emperor and, and the goddess Roma, who was the personification of Rome. Um, and you say, well, that's, that's not true in the United States, right? You don't, you don't worship like George Washington as some like saint, but... We do have a civic religion, right? Like, uh, and it's defined by many things. Uh, I guarantee you that on June 1st, uh, almost every company that you shop at will, um, they will have some iconography related to Pride Month, uh, and they'll have it up all June, right? And you, that, that's the iconography of our civic religion now, right? And you can't desecrate the symbols of our civic religion. Uh, and you can't, um, right? So, so just think about that as you go about your, your, you know, your life as a, a citizen of the United States and a consumer in our society. How am I, how am I participating in uh, 
exploitative sense, uh, systems of empire. The, the other example I can think of is uh, sometimes we are called upon um, in our various trades. Um, I think of, of Cheryl, who's a teacher. Um, and, and I bet uh, at some point in her career might be asked to teach something that she doesn't agree with, right? Like not, not necessarily evolution or something. You know, I'm not thinking about that, but like, right? You get a unit and it says you have to, to teach something that you don't strictly believe in uh, or that you think is actually harmful, uh, right? And that, that generates a crisis of conscience in which uh, the Holy Spirit must win out uh, if we're to be called out of Babylon. So, just a thought. I, I think that is, um, that verse, come out of Babylon, is haunting. I've been thinking about that a lot lately uh, in what I do. Like, how am I how am I a participant uh, in, in our society's systems of oppression? But they're not going to last forever e- either. Let's go to chapter 19. Spoiler, the lamb wins again. That guy, that guy can't be defeated. Uh, huh? I'm not surprised. Chapter 19, uh, verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hands. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the, 24, and the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints." And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he did judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. What? Why is his robe dipped in blood? They haven't fought anybody yet. Who, yeah, who, who? They haven't fought... It's, it's his blood, right? The conqueror comes wearing his own blood because that's how he conquered. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God, 
that ye made the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both great and small. That is so metal. That's amazing. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast uh, into a lake of fire, burning, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's it. Lamb won, right? That's awesome. Anyway, notice a couple things. Um, so Jesus um, comes a conqueror, right? And there are just a few details in here I like. One, it doesn't say that uh, the followers fought like these rebellious kings. It, Jesus, they're just there to watch, right? <laughs> Jesus took care of everybody himself uh, in the context of this, this battle. Um, the, like the, this is really the climax of the book. This is if you're if you are a first second century Christian and you are sitting here reading this uh, and you're feeling down, that this is the ultimate pick me up, right? This is this is the ultimate assurance that the Lamb overcomes, um, and it it means you overcome as well, right? Let's continue, verse tw- or chapter twenty. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a, and a great chain in his hand. And he, had, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season." And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I, so let's stop there uh, and get, get out your hand out. Um, so, uh, and I don't know that we have uh, enough time to go over this uh, completely, but we'll finish it up next week. Um, this set of verses about the millennium, uh, is the the pivot point on which every system uh, about like what is happening in Revelation and in the prophetic books of the Bible hangs, uh, and I'm I'm sure all of you have heard um, like a millennialist 
premillennialist, postmillennialist, like heard those terms kind of uh, bandied around and maybe didn't know what they meant necessarily uh, or couldn't conceptualize like what, what's the difference between these um, and like who's, who's an amillennialist, who's, you know, like, who's postmillennialist. So I thought it would be useful, like since we're on this, on this section, uh, to, to talk about it uh, and to make sense of it. Um, and it really comes down, I, I, there are more, uh, if I cre- created a chart that was like, that had every viewpoint, it would be like, it'd have like 7,000 rows on because <laughs> everybody believes that there, there are degrees uh, or variations within each of these viewpoints. But historically, there are four different um, four different viewpoints uh, on uh, on uh, what is happening in these verses and kind of ha- what the order of things is. Um, so let's we'll talk about each of them. I'll define them briefly, and then we can talk about each one and kind of the differences between them. A, a- millennialism uh, is the and a, uh, when you see the a prefix in front of something. That, that means without or no. So like an atheist is somebody who d- d- believes there's no God, right? No, Theo is God. So uh, here, this is a person who doesn't believe it. Technically, they don't not believe in a millennium. They believe the millennium is a, um, is a, a they believe that the millennium was introduced with the resurrection of Christ. Uh, and that Christ is right now ruling and reigning from heaven, um, which is, is, is true, uh, right? The kingdom is, is now, but not yet. Um, they just believe that, that the not yet part is, like, it's, it's now. Like, the, uh, Jesus has arri- Jesus arrived, he's reigning from heaven, uh, and he will return uh, at, at the second coming, but um, th- there's not going to be a physical thousand-year kingdom where God, where, where Jesus will, will rule over um, the nations of the earth. A post-millennialist, if you talked to an amillennialist and a post-millennialist for like two minutes uh, and asked them some general questions, you, you probably would not uh, see any distinction between the two of them. Uh, a post-millennialist believes that the, uh, the second coming of Christ is a single event that will happen. So, uh, like, the Lord's going to return, and he's going to return. They do believe that there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, um, and that it will be initiated by his second coming. Uh, and they also believe, well, no, sorry, uh, that is incorrect. Christ is going to return in their worldview when the millennium is over. So, uh, if you talk to a post-millennialist, their perception of things is that the millennium is happening now, uh, and that we are. Uh, and the reason it's happening now is because Christ is ruling and re- reigning and restraining Satan from preventing the gospel from being spread to the nations. So we 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 are able to uh, impact the world through the preaching and teaching of the word, um, and things are just going to keep getting better in the post-millennialist viewpoint until there's this golden age and Christ returns. Um, that seems extremely optimistic to me. Um, but here we are. That's what they believe, right? 
Uh, and then there are two types of premillennialism, right? Both of which have a future orientation. Um, and the, the oldest type is what's called historic premillennialism. Uh, the rapture and the second coming are simultaneous and Christ returns to reign on earth. Um, and then finally, dispensational premillennialism, and the, that's what we hold to. Uh, and the difference there is that Christ returns, raptures the church out, usually in, in the way this is articulated, usually at the beginning of the tribulation period, because uh, go read Revelation 6 to Revelation 18, and you will not see any mention of the church, even though the church is mentioned constantly prior to that. Uh, and it's like, well, the church just isn't there for the tribulation, so something happened to them, so they were, they were raptured. Um, and then there's a, a, another second, that the rapture is not the second coming, it's the rapture out of the church, and then Christ comes uh, at the end of the tribulation and initiates uh, a thousand-year reign.